Good morning, everybody. Always love it when there's a buzz in the air, uh, people fellowshipping and talking with each other. That's always a good thing. So thankful for everybody that's here with us this morning. We're always thankful to have visitors. We have visitors so far from New Jersey, New York, Atlanta, Florida, Kentucky. So we have people from all over the country here this morning. We're very thankful to have you here with us. Uh, if you're a visitor from the neighborhood, we're very thankful to have you here with us as well. Uh, it's always good also to come together with our Monta Vista family to, to worship God. So our goal is to serve our God and give him the glory that he deserves this morning. If you uh, have not had a chance to fill out a visitor card, if you are a visitor, there should be one on the pew in front of you. We ask that you please fill that out so we have a record of your attendance. We would sincerely appreciate it if you do that. There'll be a couple opportunities when baskets are passed for the offering. We don't solicit any funds from you, but that's a good opportunity for you just to drop the card in that basket. We'd appreciate that. Also, uh, if you have not grabbed uh, the emblems yet uh, out in the foyer, uh, we will have a break after our first lesson where you can uh, grab the Lord's Supper if you not, have not had a chance to grab that. Uh, so that way later on in the service when we partake of the Lord's Supper and remember his death, uh, you'll have that and you'll be ready for it. Uh, with that being said, there'll be more announcements at the end of our services. I'd like to open up with a, a reading from 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, verses 13 through 15, which is going to be in our reading coming up this next week. And then we'll open with a prayer. 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, verses 13 through 15. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through uh, sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you, you through, the, through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So as we worship our God, let's decide to stand firm in his word. Let's open up our hearts to the word as is preached today so that way we could be strong and faithful in God's word and be a light to the world. We'll now open with a prayer by Brother John Revis. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful, Father, to be here this morning. We're thankful, Father, to, that you're with us. We praise you. We give you thanks all that we can. Father, we know how wonderful you are. And we, we praise you, Father, for sharing that with us. We know how wonderful your Son is and your Spirit. We thank you for your gifts of our creation, for the gifts of our brothers and sisters here today, for the word that we have that guides us always. Especially we give you thanks for your Son. We're thankful that we can be here this morning to sing, to give you praises, to pray to you and, and know in our hearts and our minds and hear the word that you're always there and that we have so much to look forward to because of you. We give you thanks for that. We pray, Father, for those who could not be with us who are members here. and We pray that your hand will be upon them and their afflictions that they have. We pray, Father, for those who are traveling, that you would be with them as well. They have safe trips. We thank, Father, for those who are with us today. And pray, Father, we all might love each other as you want us to always. We give you thanks to your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.
you're using your songbooks, you can turn to number one. Our first song will be The Lord's My Shepherd. The Lord's My Shepherd. After this, we'll have the collection and the reading. Do so me, do me so. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie. In pastures green, he leadeth me. In pastures green, he leadeth me. The quiet waters by my soul he doth restore again, and me to walk doth make within the paths of righteousness within the paths of righteousness he for his own name's sake yea though I walk in death's dark veil yet will I feel You can mark number 820, 820. This is the time in our service that the elders have set aside for the collection of funds from the members of this congregation. As our brother Jason said in his opening announcements, this is 
a good time for those of you who are visiting to put your uh, visitor card in the collection plate as it passes, but we're not soliciting your funds. We're so thankful for all of the things that God has given us, and, and it's really important for us to realize that it's all his. We're simply stewards of what he's given us, and we're to use it wisely, and at this time, as we give back, we're to give back cheerfully and as we purposed in our heart. Would you pray with me? Our God, our Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you have blessed us so richly. We pray now that as we give back those things that you've given us, that we may do it with a cheerful heart and as we purposed in our heart, and that we will always remember that everything comes from you. Be with us always. We pray that you will be with the elders as they work with the distribution of these funds that we can further your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. What a wonderful and beautiful day God has given us to be together. We are among two states that are being very envied right now this morning. We didn't lose our sleep last night, did we? We should be well rested and ready to go. And so let's go ahead and get into it. Let's jump into the study this morning. We're going to 1 Samuel chapter 21. I want to begin this study this morning from God's word by taking you, to the, taking you to the book of Samuel. And we're going to start reading the first nine verses. We will let these verses set up everything we're going to talk about this morning in this portion of our worship to God. And so in 1 Samuel 21, verse number 9, the Bible says, Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has commissioned me with the matter, and has said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you, and with which I have commissioned you, and I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now, therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, There is no ordinary bread on hand. For there is consecrated bread. This will line up with what Brother Dunn wrote his, in his article this morning. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. 
David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out and the vessels of the young men were holy, though it was an ordinary journey. How much more than today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in his place when it was taken away. Now one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doag. I want you to remember this man Doag this morning. This man Doag is going to be a key player as we keep with our lesson today. Doag the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. David said to Ahimelech, Now is there not a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's matter was urgent. Then the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Eli, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it, for there is no other accepted here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. If I were to maybe pull you aside after service this morning and ask you to quickly list for me five key moments from David's life, it's very likely that you might mention that occasion when he killed that Philistine giant Goliath. Or you might mention that awful occasion when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Or maybe you might mention the time, the time when he was anointed to be the next king by Samuel or the time when he spared Saul's life or maybe that time when he conducted that census of Israel that really angered God. I wouldn't be shocked at all if you mentioned any of those things, but I would be shocked if you mentioned this moment that we often overlook that's found here in 1 Samuel 21. I would be shocked if you mentioned to me the occasion, about what happened during the occasion when David came to Nob. Let me ask you a question. How did David get here? How did David get in this place? How did David get in Nob? What has happened to David since the last time we studied about him last month in the month of February? Well, since the last time we studied about David, which was in the month of February, we need to understand that things have gotten really bad for David. Things are really, really bad for David. He has gone from a man who received glory and honor and exaltation as a great warrior in Israel to now he's a fugitive. He, he is on the run. He is literally running for his life. If you recall back in 1 Samuel 18, the chapter that we studied last month, after initially admiring and respecting and valuing David, Saul begins to allow the devil to influence his heart. Saul becomes jealous of David's success in the land of Israel, and that jealousy leads him to being paranoid. It leads him to being insecure and resentful and even very violent. He actually tries to kill and destroy David on several different occasions. We read about that. We studied about that in 1 Samuel chapter 18. We saw that when in 1 Samuel 18, Saul threw a spear at David and tried to nail him to the wall while he was playing the harp. 
And if you remember on a couple of other occasions in that same chapter, Saul even tried to get the Philistines to do his dirty work for him. He tried to orchestrate opportunities for David to be killed in battle against the Philistines, but he failed every single time. He failed because God was with David. God prospered David. David was a servant of the Lord. He had found favor with the Lord and the Lord was determined to get him on the throne. We see this in chapter 19 when God constantly protects David both miraculously and providentially. You see, even though Saul begins to realize that the Lord is with David, that doesn't stop Saul. Saul really doesn't care about that. Saul attempts on numerous occasions in this chapter to kill David, but he fails. He fails to persuade Jonathan, his son, to kill David. Jonathan won't do it because he's David's friend, and he loves David, and he knows that David is a man of integrity and godliness, and he knows that, that David has done nothing but good things for Saul and his, and his kingdom. Jonathan is especially loyal to David, and I actually preached a sermon about that about a year and a half ago from 1 Samuel chapter 20. We're not going to have time to deal with 1 Samuel 20 in this series. I preached about that a year and a half ago. It was a sermon called David's Friends. So I recommend if you have some time to go listen to that sermon again. It'll bring you up to speed on some things. It will show you in that chapter just how much Jonathan loved David. He was loyal to David. He respected David. In fact, here in these verses, Jonathan will actually persuade Saul to leave David alone. He would persuade Saul to back off, to leave David alone because David has been good for the kingdom. And Saul's going to listen to Jonathan. Saul will back off on this occasion, but later on, he, he's going to try to kill David again. He's going to try in these two verses, verses 9 and 10, to kill David with a spear while David is playing a mechanical instrument and David is only narrowly able to escape. And then later on in this same chapter, Saul's going to have some of his messengers follow David to his house and he's going to try to kill David in his own house. He's going to try to kill David in his own house, but David's wife, Michael, who's also a daughter of Saul, she actually protects David. She protects David from the wrath of Saul. And then once Saul begins pursuing David in Ramah, well, God then gets directly involved. God actually prevents Saul and his messengers from killing David by having his spirit come upon them. The Holy Spirit comes upon Saul and his messengers. In fact, when the Spirit came upon Saul, the Bible says Saul started doing some crazy stuff. He stripped off his clothes. He prophesied before Samuel and he laid naked day and night. What I want you to see is during this time, David is on the run. He, he is on the run. He is running and he's running hard and fast. He is running from a man, a, a paranoid man, a king who is determined to kill him because he's jealous. And he's insecure and he's resentful and he really has no concern about doing the will of God. Saul's bad behavior will actually only get worse from here. It's going to get worse when we get to these main chapters that we're going to be considering 
this morning in our study in 1 Samuel 21 and in 1 Samuel 22. You see, after receiving confirmation from Jonathan in chapter 20 that his father Saul wanted to kill him, the scripture says that David came to Nob. He came to a place called Nob. Nob is the place where evidently the tabernacle is at this time. We know that because David is met by the priest. He's met by Ahimelech. Notice how the scripture says that Ahimelech is terrified when he sees David. He is totally scared and frightened. Now that's interesting because the Bible doesn't tell us why he's afraid. We can, we can suspect some things, but the Bible doesn't tell us why Ahimelech is afraid to see David on this occasion, but that's not the most interesting thing that should stand out to us from the text. The most interesting thing that should stand out to us from this text is while David was a servant of God, while David was a man after God's own heart, while he did love the Lord, we also see in these verses that he wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't a sinless man. In addition to the sin of sexual immorality that he committed with Bathsheba that we talk a lot about today, here in these verses, we find David being a liar. He's a liar here. He is being unethical. He's being dishonest. He's doing some things that are not honorable at all. In verse number two, notice in verse two, how after Ahimelech asked him, hey, David, what are you doing here? David says that he is there because he had been given a mission by the king. The Bible has a word for what David did there. It's called lying. He's lying. That's not why he was there. Saul did not send him on a mission. You and I know that Saul's trying to kill him. He's not sending him on a mission. David is lying when he says that. He's not sent there on a mission by the king. But that's not the only lie he tells here. In verse number eight, when trying to secure a weapon from the priest, David lies again. By telling him that he needs the sword that he killed Goliath with because the mission the king had given him was a very urgent mission. Again, that's a bold-faced lie. That's a lie. And if you think that's all bad, we're still not done. Because did you notice what David took from the priest to feed himself and his men? He took some bread. He took some forbidden bread. He took some consecrated bread, the show bread. He took special bread that was reserved only for the priest. David deceives Ahimelech into giving him and his men some bread that was not supposed to be eaten by men like him. Jesus in Matthew 12 and verse 4. And Matthew chapter 12 and verse 4, when exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, Jesus referred to David's actions here. And you know what he called it? He called these actions unlawful. Now, if Jesus says something is unlawful, you know what that means? That means something's unlawful. That means it's sinful. I'm going to go with Jesus. Jesus says David does something here that is not lawful. He is doing all kinds of bad stuff here. He is lying. He is deceiving. He's taking and eating forbidden bread. And I know that me bringing that up this morning may make some of us feel uncomfortable, but it doesn't make God uncomfortable. 
Doesn't make Jesus uncomfortable. Doesn't make the Holy Spirit uncomfortable. The Holy Spirit never has a problem pointing out the mistakes uh, of the men we read about in the Bible. The Holy Spirit never shies away from telling us that these people we read about in the Bible, they were real people. They were people who had flaws. The people who carried out God's purposes, they were sinners just like us. They're no different than us. With the obvious exception being Jesus Christ, these characters that we hold in such high esteem today, they were not perfect. They were not sinless. They, too, were just like us in that they needed a savior. You remember that guy named Abraham who God made three, three promises to? Remember him? Well, not only did he lack in his faith at times, and he certainly lacked in his faith. He wasn't always a God of rock-solid faith. No, he lacked in his faith. He also was a liar. He lied on several occasions in the book of Genesis. Remember Noah? Noah got drunk. Remember Solomon? The wise man Solomon got caught up in idolatry. Peter the apostle denied the Lord. Paul persecuted Christians. Samson committed sexual immorality. David committed sexual immorality, murdered, lied, deceived at times, and even ate forbidden bread. These people were sinners. They're not Jesus, and we don't need to put them on the level with Jesus. They had flaws just like we do. David is eating forbidden bread. In fact, eat after eating the forbidden bread, the scripture says that David does something even more bizarre. Let's keep going here in verse 10. After he takes the sword he killed Goliath with, it says in verse 10, he arose, 1 Samuel 21, 10. 1 Samuel 21, 10. Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, this law has slain his thousands, and David is ten thousands. That is, his ten thousands of Philistines. David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gaz. So he disguised his sanity before them. And acted insanely in their hands and, and squibbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman? Why, you, why don't you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you brought this one to act, like this, to act this madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? Notice where David is on this occasion. The Bible says that David... He leaves from Nob and he goes, he goes to Gath. He goes to Gath. Do you remember where Gath is? Remember who lived in Gath? Remember who was from Gath? Goliath was from Gath. The Philistines. This is their city. David is so desperate at this time. He goes to live among the Philistines. He goes to live among people where he had killed tens of thousands of them. He goes to live among the enemies of God's people, heathen people, people who didn't know the Lord and they didn't want to know the Lord. That's how desperate David is at this time. And notice how as David goes among them, he gets afraid. He's really afraid. I mean, he's so afraid that he starts acting like a crazy man. He starts letting spit go down his beard, slava go down his beard. He acts like a crazy man. And since the Oscars are today, let's just say that David probably could have won an Oscar for this right here. 
He, he certainly fooled the king of the king of the Philistines. He fooled King Achish. Achish said, what are you doing? Be bringing a crazy man to me. I don't need a guy like this. Get this guy out of here. He's, he's insane. Now, I don't know what David thought he was going to accomplish going among these people, but whatever he thought was going to work, it certainly didn't work. It didn't work at all. He had to get out of there. And then let's go to the next chapter. Let's go to the next chapter. We got to do some more Bible reading. We're going to let the Holy Spirit speak to us this morning because the Holy Spirit can say this better than I can. And I'm going to tell you something. You've got to buckle up for this because this may be one of the most disturbing stories in the, all the Old Testament. So buckle up for this. Verse 1, so David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captive over them. Now, there were about 400 men with him. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother come and stay with you until I know what God, I like this. I don't want to do anything until I know what God will do for me. I want to hear from God. Then he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. The prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Herith. Then Saul heard that David and the men were with him and had been discovered. Now Saul was sitting in Geba under the tamarisk tree and the height on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing around him. Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Hear now, O Benjamites, will the son of Jesse, notice the disrespect he has for him. He can't even call him by his name. He can't even call him by his name. It's like if I was to refer to Mike and say, Oh, that old Abney, that Abney. That's how he's referring to David. It's disrespect. The son of Jesse. Will the son of Jesse also give to you all Give to you all fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? For all of you have conspired against me, so there is no one who discloses to me when my son makes a company with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you who is sorry for me or disclosed to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in ambush as it is this day. Then Doag, I told you to remember him, didn't I? Remember he was back in Nob. Well, Doak the Edomite, who was standing by Saul's servant, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to the knob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. He inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent someone to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's household, the priests who were in Nob, and all of them came to the king. Saul said, Listen now, son of Ahitub, and he answered, Here I am, my lord. Saul then said to him, why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me that you've given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him so that he would rise up against me by lying in ambush as it is this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, and who among all your servants is as faithful as David, even the king's son-in-law, who is captain over your guard and is honored in your house, that I just began to inquire of God for him today? Far be it from me. Do not let the king impute anything to his servant. Or to any of the household of my father, for your servant knows nothing at all of this whole affair. But the king said, you shall surely die. 
Ahimelech, you and all your father's household. And the king said to the guards who were gathering him or attending to him, turn around and put the priests of the Lord to death because their hand also is, was, is with David and because they knew that he was fleeing and did not reveal it to me. But the servants of the king were not willing to put their hands to attack the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, there's that Doeg guy, you turn around and attack the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned around and attacked the priest, and he killed that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. And he struck the city, the struck Nob, the city of the priest, with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and infants, also oxen, donkeys, and sheep he struck with the edge of the sword. You got to really think about what's going on here. You got to really think about what's going on here. I want you to notice a few things from this text. First, notice how after being sent away by the king of the Philistines, by King Achish, the scripture says that David, David continued running to Saul and he came to the cave of Adullam. The cave of Adullam is southeast of the city of Gath. And so David goes from Nob, to the coast, he goes west to the coast, that's where the Philistine ter territory is. He goes to Gath, and he goes from Gath southeast to the cave of Adullam. And Adullam, he's going to keep on hiding from Saul, but notice he's not alone. Verse number two says he's got a lot of people with him at this time. He actually has a small army with him at this time. Did you notice that? He's got a small army that he's leading at this time. He's leading about 400 men, and these are some tough guys. These are some big, bad, tough guys. They are battle-tested. They are outcasts, just like Dave. And as we continue reading their story, we're going to see that there are times when they act like a bunch of thugs. These are some tough guys rolling with David. But not only is David leading this small army, notice he also takes care of his family. Did you see that? He's a family man. Even while running from, from Saul and he's leading this small army, David sends for his family. He sends for his brothers. He sends for his mother and his father. He knows that Saul might try to hurt them. And he takes his mother and his father, who are probably pretty old at this time, he takes them to Moab. He takes them to the land of Moab so the king of Moab can watch over them. I think somebody had a great-grandmother who was a Moabite. Oh, that was David. David's grandmother was great-grandmother's Ruth. Ruth's a Moabite. Maybe there's some family connection there. But that's not the most important thing to see here. The most important thing to see here is during all this going on right now, the Lord is still with him. The Lord is still with him while David is hiding in a cave. Notice how the scripture says that God sent him a prophet. He didn't have to go look for a prophet. God sent the prophet to him. He sent Gad to him. And the prophet Gad told him what the Lord wanted him to know. He told him that the Lord wanted him to keep moving. He wanted him to go into the land of Judah. You see, by Gad coming to David, that demonstrates that God is still watching out for him. God is still with him. God is even telling him where to go. The Lord is with David during this time. But you contrast that with what the Bible says about Saul. Contrast that with Saul. You see, unlike David, who's running around all over the place, and he's not a perfect man, but he still has God in his life, Saul doesn't have God in his life at all. 
God is not sending Saul any prophets. God's not looking after Saul. Saul has totally got out of favor with God. Going back to verses 6 through 8 of this chapter. In verses 6 through 8, notice how the scripture says that Saul in this scene is sitting under a tree with a spear. Now picture that in your mind. The king is sitting under a tree with a spear. The Holy Spirit is trying to show us here that this man has lost it. This man is paranoid. He's totally lost it. He is totally paranoid at this time. He doesn't trust anybody. He is suspicious of everybody. In fact, he even feels the need to persuade his soldiers that, that David wouldn't be as good of a king that he is. And he accuses them of conspiring against him. He says, all of you are against me. He says, everybody's against him at this time. His servants are against him. His soldiers are against him. Jonathan is against him. David is against him. Jonathan and David are conspiring together to ambush him and kill him. Saul thinks everybody's out to get him. And guess what? He's wrong about that. But you ever met people like that before who are paranoid about everything? You think everybody's out to get him? That's Saul right now. He's totally paranoid. In fact, his paranoia takes an even darker turn. When he accuses Ahimelech, the priest, of conspiring against him. He accuses the priest of God for helping David because Ahimelech secretly wants David to rise up and be the next king and remove him from his position. In fact, not only does he falsely accuse the priest, he kills him. He kills Ahimelech and he kills Ahimelech's family and he kills 85 priests. This is such a wicked thing that if you notice, his own soldiers wouldn't get involved. They say, oh, man, we can't do this. He said, kill these people. The soldiers said, we can't do this. You're the king, but we can't touch priests of God. They wouldn't do this. This evil action. But you know who would? Doag said, I'll do it. Doag, the one who was the informant, he said, I'll do it. He killed them. And notice the scripture says they were wearing the linen ephod. You see that? The linen ephod. What is that? Well, that was a, a white garment, a pure white garment that was worn by the priest. And so picture this in your mind. You got these men, these 85 men wearing pure white garments. But now, because of Saul, they're covered in blood. These linen ephods are covered in blood. Saul has killed the priest. He's killed priest of God. And he doesn't just kill priest of God, but he goes to Nob. He sends people to Nob, and they wipe out the whole place. They wipe out men, women, children, and all the animals. Let me think here. There was a time when God told him to go to the Amalekites and wipe out the men, the women, the children, and all the animals, and he wouldn't do that, but now you want to kill the priests and all their families. This man is gone. He's gone. He's lost it. He's about as far away from God as a person can be right now. And here is the point of application. Here's the question of application this morning. Who are we more like right now in our lives? 
Who are we right now more like in our lives right now? Are we more like David? Or are we more like Saul? I'm going to emphasize to you again that David's not a perfect man. There's no, there's no doubt about that. He's not perfect. He, he, he commits sins. He, I pointed out some things that he does wrong here. But I need to show you and help you see that he still has favor with God. God is still in his life. God is sending him a prophet. He listens to the prophet. And he doesn't just listen to the prophet, but he obeys the prophet. You go back to verse number five of chapter 22. What did it say? In chapter five, I mean, verse number five, I'm sorry. In chapter 22. It said, the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold. The prophet is telling him this. Depart and go into the land of Judah. And here is the key part. So David departed and went into the forest of Herod. David listens to God. David does what God tells him to do. He's obeying the Lord, even though he's going through some tough times. Even though he's struggling, even though he's running all over the place, even though the lives of his parents are at stake, David is still obeying the Lord. The question is, are we like David? Like David? No matter what we are going through right now in our lives, no matter what tough times we're facing, are we still seeking instructions from God through his word? And are we listening to those instructions? And are we obeying those instructions? It doesn't matter what we may be going through right now. It doesn't matter if we're grieving the loss of a loved one right now. It doesn't matter if we're battling cancer or some other life-threatening disease. It doesn't matter if we're currently struggling to find employment so we can feed our family. Or if we got certain people who are turning their back against us right now, or they're doubting us right now, or they're not giving us the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't matter if life's being unfair to us, we feel like, and we, we keep having one problem pop up after another. No matter what we're going through in our lives, no matter how rock bottom we might be right now, like David, are we seeking the Lord, and are we doing what he says? Are we like David? Or are we like Saul? Or when the devil begins to come after us, when the devil begins to assault us in our lives, do we blame everybody else for our failures instead of taking some personal responsibility? Do we feel sorry for ourselves? Do we get upset because other people won't feel sorry for us? Do we throw a pity party? Do we make excuses? Do we push away godly people who are trying to help us get back on track? Do we continue wallowing in the pit of sin? Do we allow our lives to spiral out of control? Do we allow one sin to lead us to committing some other sins? Instead of repenting like David does when he sins, do we turn to alcohol? Do we turn to drinking? Do we get drunk? Do we do drugs and get high? Do we have an affair? Do we cheat on our spouse? Do we get on social media and behave in an ungodly way in front of 1,500 friends? Listen to me carefully. For those of you who may be wondering, why are we doing this series on David? This is why. 
The reason why I want to do these studies at least once a month is because I firmly believe with every fiber of my being that character matters. Character matters. Godly character matters. Again, David is by no means a perfect man. We're going to keep seeing that as we keep studying his story, but he did have godly character. He did have a heart from God, for God. He is someone who can teach us how to love God and be faithful to God and serve God and so many different facets of life. In fact, in the final verses of this chapter, 1 Samuel 22, the chapter concludes with one of the priests, Abiathar, he actually escapes Saul's wrath. He escapes this moment in Nob, but he goes to look for David, who's hiding in Judah. And when he finds David, he begs David to take care of him, to watch out for him. And David says, I'll look after you. I'm going to take care of you. Because David felt responsible for what happened to those priests. And so that's, that's where we're going to leave it. We're going to leave it with David running. He's running. He is going from Nob to Gath to Adullam. Now he's in Judah. He's all over the place. But don't you forget this. God is with him. God is watching over him. God is going to work with him. God's going to grow him. God's going to help him become what he needs to become. The question is, what about you? What about you right now in your life? Are you someone who has God in your life like David did? If not, then it's time to get God in your life. It's time to serve the Lord. It's time to come to him maybe for the first time through faith and repentance and baptism, or maybe you're a child of God and you've gotten away from God, it's time to repent and come back to him before it's too late. God is calling. We're going to sing that right now, and if we can help you answer that call, come to the front. Let's stand. Let's sing. God calling it, shall I not hear? Earth's pleasure shall I still hold dear? Shall life's with passing years all fly?
heed his pleading voice. We'll now be dismissed to classes.